Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, (laughs) Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, an ND Insider podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Marcus Freeman led his first practices as Notre Dame's head coach over the weekend after spending the week out on the road recruiting. Now the Irish are preparing to sign the first members of the 2022 recruiting class on Wednesday at the start of the early signing period. It's been a whirlwind couple of weeks for those Notre Dame recruits, so we wanted to bring one of them on the podcast to discuss it with us. And four-star cornerback Jaden Mickey from Centennial High School in Corona, California, agreed to do so. Jaden, thanks for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Jaden, I, I wanted to start by rewinding a couple of weeks back uh, when you first found out that Brian Kelly was leaving Notre Dame. How did you process that, and what did you need to learn to sort of reassure you that sticking with Notre Dame was what you wanted to do? When it first happened, um, I, I couldn't believe it, really, because – you know, you don't think Coach Kelly would have left would have left Notre Dame for anything, right? So one of the things I looked for in a school was stability. So that was one of the good reasons why I picked this school. But then when he left, really everything just paused for me. You know, I, my mind wasn't racing too fast, but I just wanted to wait. I wanted to wait for more answers, wait to see what happens. And then once Coach Freeman got the job, everything settled back down and I was ready to go. Jaden, did you have – uh, visit scheduled with Brian for the week right after the Stanford game, and and then also, did anybody get out to see you in California once there was the coaching change? Yes, I was scheduled to have a home visit with Coach Kelly and Coach Poli in the day everything happened. So wow. they were out here um, in California, and then everything happened, and they ended up going back out to Notre Dame. So they they had to cancel on me. So. So, I mean, was it a matter of hours? I think they were at Tobias's house when when everything broke. I mean, was it – I mean, were you kind of sitting there with dinner ready or whatever or, or snacks ready for them, or how did that work out? We was actually supposed to meet at, like, 11, so I, I missed school. And then when that all happened, I was like, oh, no school, no, no meeting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's see, at least you got a free day, free day off of school for it, right. for your troubles. 
you mentioned Coach Polian there. I know you knew uh, him well as well as someone that sort of led your recruitment a little bit. How did his departure impact you? Um, once Coach Freeman got the job and his guy stayed, it didn't really impact me too much. Um, I already knew that much, so I was locked in. And then you, I'm not sure if your um, family came with you, but you came to Notre Dame this weekend with a lot of the guys that were already committed. What was that experience like? It was amazing. Um, knowing those guys, are most of them are coming in early, so we'll all have each other lean on when we get there. Um, getting to get a sneak peek of what our life's going to be like when we go up there, it was, it was fun. Also, during the period of uncertainty between when Brian left and Marcus was named, did other schools reach out to you and try to kind of gauge your interest in looking around? Yes, um, pretty much all the Pac-12 schools and my top four. So it was Northwestern, you know, Cal, Oregon's, some other schools in the Pac-12 reached out to me. What uh, I get? What, what was what was your phone like? I imagine like obviously those schools were reaching out to you. I'm sure the, the Notre Dame coaches that were still at Notre Dame were reaching out to you. I'm sure you had all kinds of reporters reaching out to you. I imagine even your friends. Like, what the heck is going on? Did you have to just sort of like put your phone away? How did you sort of deal with all that in the in those moments? Yeah, I mean, I knew just as much as my friends did. We were <laughs> all the social media stuff. I was actually trying to take a nap when everything happened, and then my phone started going off. So I had to get up and check out what was going on and. It was, it was kind of crazy. Yeah, that's funny. I know uh, Kurt Heinisch, who's a defensive lineman on, on Notre Dame's team, he said he was he was napping when the Brian Kelly stuff happened, and he woke up, and he, he thought he didn't wake up. Like, he was like, am I still asleep? Am I dreaming? Is this really is this really happening? <laughs> what what I know Coach Mickens and Coach Freeman made a visit out to see you after everything sort of settled in. What was that visit like? How did that that go? And what what did you what did you get to know more about those guys? It was amazing um, watching, listening, and looking at Coach Freeman and Coach Mickens, the way they compete against each other. For example, my first time, my first visit, they were uh, in the bean, bean, not the bean bag, the what's it called? Um, oh, cornhole. Cornhole championship against each other, and the way they compete, it kind of reminds me of how me and my friends compete. So seeing them is kind of is kind of fun, and. Um, Knowing one day it's like they're those are role models for us kids and recruits. It was it was fun having them at my house. Um, talking for we talked for like two hours just about everything. You know, they all get along with my family real well. My family loves them. I love them. So it was it was real fun. Jaden, did did you ever talk to Coach Kelly after the news? Did he ever reach out to you at all? No, sir. Okay. Interesting. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, I didn't. I didn't talk to Coach Kelly too much. Uh, besides, like the mail he'll send before a game, maybe or okay, stuff like that. I, I wondered too. Um, you know, they're most of your class ends up staying together. Um, one of the guys that split off is CJ, and I think you played against him twice this year. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So first of all, what what was your what were your battles like in those games? Because those are two great teams, and then uh, and then maybe what are your thoughts on on him maybe not sticking in the class? Did you kind of see that coming? Uh, I didn't see it coming. I thought he was going to stick with us, but um, it happened. And going against CJ is so fun because I didn't win against him so many times. 
my sophomore year, my first game was against him. Um, my first varsity pick was against him. The next, <laughs> year, the next year, seven on seven against him. So we always see each other all the time. And now with him projected to go to SC, it'll be fun again. So uh, it was a shocker to me, to a couple of our recruits, commits. But um, it is what it is. Wish him the best of luck. I'm curious, how much have you – you guys as commits sort of leaned on each other through this process of like, Hey, we want to stick together. We're going to get through this. And obviously had a chance to sort of maybe celebrate that a little bit this past weekend. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. You know, everybody, pretty much everybody wanted coach Freeman at the job. So that's what everybody was banking on. Um, he got it. We all loved it. So we all stuck together. Jane, what is it that impresses you about coach Freeman be beyond his cornhole play? <laughs> well, he just uh, – you could tell he knows what he's talking about when he talks about football, his schemes, and just the way he comes off as a human, as a, as a man. He presents himself really well, and that's what everybody says, the uh, the Freeman effect. He just presents himself really well, and he, he doesn't lose contact. Though, you know, he, he's around the players a lot. All the players love him as a person, so he, he keeps you in the loop. Uh, Jane, it's been it's been interesting to see over the last few weeks. It feels like Notre Dame has been getting a lot of support from people who don't necessarily always support Notre Dame, and they 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 really like the hire of Marcus Freeman. And it's almost like uh, Notre Dame has become cool again. I, I don't know. Have you gotten that sense? Do you have friends like talking to you more, more about Notre Dame than maybe they have in the past, and like really interested on in who Marcus Freeman is and what's going on in South Bend now? A little bit, but it's mostly the social media. You know, the Irish supporters. And it's, it's fun seeing how much they love the hire. And with me, the hire was so great because everybody wanted them, right? So we either all win or all lose together. So we're all in this together. Jaden, when you were um, choosing Notre Dame the first time, did you – I'm not sure if you know J Javon McKinley's family at all uh, and, and if he was at, involved at all. Yeah. Uh, you with you? Yeah, I, I reached out to him. So for every college college I was looking at, I'll reach out to somebody I either have a contact to or went like Javon McKinley, he went to Centennial. So I know right. he hit me back. So I tapped in with him and he texted me back and he told me all the positives and the cons about Notre Dame. And it was it was still amazing school, amazing program. Jaden, what are what are your expectations for your freshman season at Notre Dame? I want to get in. Um, obviously, I want to get on the field. Everybody wants to get on the field. I'm going to get in at compete, give it my full uh, hardest effort. Um, I definitely want to get in on special teams, um, special teams roles, kid return roles. I did a lot of that this year as a senior and, and my junior year as well. So uh, I'm going to get in there and work my butt off and try and get on that field. Yeah, that, I, I wanted to ask about special teams, so I'm glad you brought that up. I'm curious what – when – and how did you sort of embrace that role in high school? When did it when was that something you have always been good at, or did you sort of get better as that as your career went on? Well, I used to play like uh, I was a dual threat quarterback when I was young, so okay. I was a I was a runner. So I've always wanted to play offense, and and for me as a DB now, I think that's a DB's way of getting that that touch of the football, you know, playing special teams. Now you were a um, pretty good track guy. How do you feel like that might help you at Notre Dame? And and there's been some football players that have run track. Have you thought about that at all? 
definitely, um, definitely at least training with the track team to keep my speed up when we're not in football. But, um, you know, I think you got to be fast to be able to – you got to be fast to be able to cover the fastest dudes. For instance, you can't be slow and cover Jamison Williams from Alabama, you know. So t- teams like that and games like that I always look forward to on the track tr- while I'm training on the track because it's like if you don't train fast, you're not going to be able to cover these top guys. Okay, did you play against Jamison in high school? No. Okay. You're just envisioning that. <laughs> I'm envisioning it. I'm envisioning yeah. it. Okay. You, you talked about having played against C.J. Williams a lot. Are there – is he the best receiver you've played against or is there someone else that – I know you, I, you, there's no, like, lack of talent that you play against out there. I'm curious if there's any other guys that really stood out from your career. The best receiver I've went against is Gary Bryant at practice. Um, every day, you know, it was always fun competing against him. And uh, Chris Hudson, I played Chris Hudson my sophomore year. He's a quick, fast guy from Oregon. So, had him on the island a lot of times. So, I really had to tap in. And uh, the one receiver I always wanted to play that I ain't been able to get to play yet is T Mac from uh, Servite. You know, I think he's one of the best receivers in the country. So, uh, that, that was the most challenging dudes I look at and, and win against. Man, there are some, I mean, out in. Southern California, it's amazing the quarterback talent out there. You, you look at all these schools, you know, Clemson's quarterback, Alabama's quarterback, Ohio State's quarterback, all from Southern California. Right. Uh, who's the who's the best quarterback that you've seen kind of out of that group, both who played this year and maybe who played a year or two ahead of you? Um, sophomore year, I played DJ and Bryce. So they were definitely they were definitely the best quarterbacks I've ever played against. Um, I got a pick against Bryce. That was my first pick. It was yeah. It was so I played against the best quarterbacks in the country right now. So it it's, yeah yeah. How, how much does that in, influence your confidence? And obviously, seeing what those guys have been able to do at the college level. I'm, I've always been a confident guy, you know. So. It's, it's just fun watching them excel in, in such an atmosphere like Bryce Young going to Alabama, winning the Heisman. You know, as a, as a California dude, it's just it's so inspri- inspiring watching them do what they do. Not to pile on here, but did you happen to catch Brian Kelly's dance moves in the one <laughs> little video with the quarterback? Come in. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> Just curious, your critique of that. Did you have any thoughts <laughs> that you'd like to share? Nah, I don't have too much to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I showed it, believe it or not, my mom's 91. I showed it to her, and she goes, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> J- Jaden, you are enrolling early. I'm curious, why did you want to do that, and how much work went into you being able to do that? I want to get up there early. Um establish myself in the program, get a head start on things. Um, and I also plan on getting out of there in three years. So three and a half years, get my degree and be able to go on to the NFL if that's what's in the books for me. You have a big coat yet? Yeah. <laughs> I have a bunch of those. <laughs> well, all right, Jaden, that's all we, we got for you. We really appreciate taking the time to talk to us today and uh, good luck on Wednesday. What time are you uh, signing your, your letter of intent? Um, 12-15 at my high school. All right. Well, good luck with that, and uh, congratulations. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Looking forward to seeing you up here. All right. Now it's time for questions.
You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First question I have for us, Eric, is from at Brett Kovach. If someone had told you before the season that Brian Kelly would be, wouldn't be the coach in 22 and Marcus Freeman would be taking over, what reason would you have assumed? Kelly got fired, Kelly retired, or Kelly left for another job? Well, I like it that it's multiple choice. Uh, so that made it easy. Kelly retired, uh, which still would have surprised me. Um, but if I had an alternate, I would have said Kelly. I thought Kelly being abducted by aliens would be more like <laughs> Kelly leaving for another job. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I would go that far, but yeah, Kelly Kelly retiring would have been my lead candidate by a, by a wide margin there from those those choices. That was not something that we we anticipated. Next question is from William F. Scholwer at WFSINDC. Aaron Taylor and other seemingly knowledgeable commentators have said Brian Kelly's departure was due in part to Jack Swarbrick's resistance to provide additional facilities. If true, what are those additional facilities? Well, I hope you're quoting Aaron correctly. Um, and, and I don't want to um, have my answer bracketed to saying whether he's right or wrong. What I will say is that I think, you know, when, when I was working on the story, when it was first breaking, the source that I talked to felt like um, that this was about leveraging, partially leveraging to get um, speeding up of facilities. It wasn't that Jack Swarbrick was saying, no, we're not going to add facilities. It was trying to move the timeline up. There's a Google Amino uh, Athletic Center expansion that would, among other things, give the football team its own weight room. It would give them more recovery space and recovery meaning uh, your body recovering after games and practices. Uh, it would simplify the training table and that you'd have a kitchen. There'd be study uh, areas that would be helpful. All that's on, been on the table. They're looking for funding. Uh, so that part of it's real. How real is it? I think once Brian Kelly left and didn't do it well and it looked bad, I think his agent pushed that storyline a little bit harder. I, I don't think that's why Brian Kelly left. I think Brian Kelly left because um, of ego. And I think he wanted more money. And I think the Mel Tucker situation at um, Michigan State probably got under his skin a little bit. And uh, so to, to make it seem that that was the crux of all this, I think is inaccurate. Was it in the formula? Yes, I do think it was. Yeah, I, I don't know how confident I am in saying like what what like the percentage pie would be of how much this had to do with it, how much of the the money at LSU had to do with it, and the chance to do something new had to do with it. Um, but yeah, I think I mean those upgrades, at least some of those upgrades, seem to be in the works. It's just a matter of them coming through, and I can understand that Brian Kelly would be frustrated with like, hey. You, you guys are telling me this is going to happen and what this, why can't we make this happen? Um, if we're, if we're committed to, to a championship football program here. So it sounds like stuff. Um, I, I found it interesting. Uh, Matt Fortuna from the athletic has talked um, 
a number of times on the Shamrock, the, the podcast he hosts with Pete Sampson about how he, because he travels a lot more to different schools covering other programs nationally for the athletic, just he notices the difference between the Goog and the other uh, athletic centers that these football programs are using. Um, and that Notre Dame has sort of fallen behind a little bit there. Um, certainly the new indoor facility that Notre Dame has is nice and new um, and was overdue and it, when it was built. Um, and helps. Yeah. And it, and it does help, but there are, there are plenty of other things that, that could use improvements at Notre Dame and they're, they're supposedly working on them. We'll see what, how, how real, um, the, or how and how, or how soon those those things come to fruition. I just want to add one thing. I'm not trying to be harsh with Brian Kelly, but I think part of him not handling this well was his story about why he left was not consistent from one radio show to the next appearance. It the the story seemed to evolve, and that's where I kind of formed my own opinion. And and I'm not saying that he shouldn't have left. I just think. You just be honest about it. Next question is from at Steve Goforth five. What coaching vacancies are currently on the team? Okay. So right now there is an opening for special teams coach because Brian Polian went to LSU. And right now, Nick Lazinski, who's a senior defensive analyst, is filling in that role. There's also an opening for defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach. And Nick Lazinski is filling in for the linebackers coach. And so they're they're going to have to hire a defensive coordinator at some point. And I would expect it wouldn't be Nick Lazinski. Maybe he could end up being the special teams coach. And I think there's other people in the mix there. And, and maybe he would just stay in the role that he is. But I think they'll go out and get, um, you know, a big name defensive coordinator. And then there are two positions that aren't confirmed for next year, but those coaches are still on the staff, and that's offensive line and wide receivers coach. So there's probably a better than 50% chance that there will be new people in those roles. But until the bowl game's over, it'll be Jeff Quinn and Dell Alexander. That is correct. I don't know that I have much more to add, but I did want to include that in there to make sure that people are sort of up to date with everything that's going on. I know it's been a lot. Uh, next question is from Jack Quinn at JQ6008. Bruce Feldman on the, uh, was on Andy Stable's podcast last week and hinted that Harry Heastan could be on his way back to Notre Dame. Have you heard anything along those lines? I've heard people wish it. Um, I, I don't know. I, and I also know Harry was being paid by the Bears until I think after this current season ends so if he was looking for more income he he could certainly take another job I hope to talk to Harry at some point find out personally I'm not sure logistically how it would work out with Notre Dame he loved Notre Dame I just think there's some logistical things behind the scenes that would have to be worked out if if that were to happen but that would be quite a coup if they could get Harry he stand back yeah, I, I I would have to imagine Tommy Reese would at least ask, like, "Hey, you you want you want to come back?" I mean, I guess I don't know if you say Tommy Reese asked or Marcus Freeman asked, but he's still in town, <laughs> right? Right. Um, but I hadn't heard anything concrete from anyone that would 
have insight. Obviously, I would think Bruce Feldman would have some knowledge on this, although I did go listen to this when it was mentioned because I, I hadn't listened to it bef- before this was tweeted at us, and this was tweeted at us last week. Um, actually, like I think it was the day after the podcast happened. Um, and, and Bruce sort of made the comment offhand. It wasn't like he was like reporting, I, I'm, I'm hearing this. Like he sort of just suggest, I think he stand came up, he stands name was mentioned and he said, maybe he'll come back to Notre Dame. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it's serious. Um, if Harry, he wants to coach college football again, Notre Dame would be, would be silly to, to not reach out to him. Next question is from Chris Buckley at Topher 15. Any more news slash updates on Brian Hartline, who I will add for people who don't know is the Ohio state wide receivers coach being asked to join coach Freeman staff. He's a really good wide receivers coach, although he has great material to work with. I mean, when Jamison Williams goes and transfers to Alabama, (laughs) All-American because he can't get on the field, you've got good material. He's also one of the best recruiters in the country, um, and I think that's the appeal there. Uh, From what I understand, he's committed to staying in Columbus. Yeah, that would be – I mean, that would be – that would be an even – even bigger coup than getting Harry Heastan back into coaching at Notre Dame, in my opinion, taking one of the best position coaches in college football um, from one of the top programs in college football and bringing him over to Notre Dame in, in what would essentially be a lateral move. It's not like you would be making him the offensive coordinator. Um, so if Marcus Freeman were to somehow make that a possibility, that would be extraordinary, but I, I wouldn't anticipate that happen, happening. I think sort of, I mean, if you sort of followed the, whispers and rumors of that happening initially it sort of came out from the Ohio state side and that probably wasn't an accident. I I imagine that was some leverage for a potential raise uh, for Brian Hartline over at Ohio state. Next question is, and, and I should add like, that doesn't mean it wasn't, it was that Notre Dame wouldn't be wanting him, but I think um, if he wasn't that interested in leaving, he would at least let that get out there. So he could, he could make it seem that he wanted to leave. Uh, Next question is from Maverick at real deal Mav. Is the ND staff not keeping Jeff Quinn an indictment of sorts of him as a position coach because Brian Kelly didn't take him to LSU and he just interviewed at Nebraska who passed over him for a guy who will be a first-time O-line coach in full capacity? I guess (laughs) I would say I wouldn't use the word indictment. I I think um, we all make choices and sometimes it's just not the right choice. You, you well, let's take Jeff Quinn out of it. Let's say um, you were looking for an offensive coordinator, and that offensive coordinator didn't run the spread that they ran a pro style offense. Well, that's not an indictment that you wouldn't keep that offensive coordinator, but you don't want to run that offensive style, so you you make a change. I think Quinn got a bad rap. I think he's he's a better than average offensive line coach, and I think he's an excellent recruiter. I think if he has a shortcoming, it's maybe not uh, doing the deep drilling down on the technical work, and maybe um, from again, this is from people that have observed that know way more about offensive line play than me. Maybe not coaching freshmen differently than coaching a senior, maybe just trying to get them all doing the same thing where where maybe you needed to to give some extra work to the freshmen. So I don't know that that's necessarily indictment. I mean, Jeff had his own 
own way about him. And then, you know, Brian not taking him to LSU, you know, he he kept Brad Davis down there. Brad is a Baton Rouge native. Now, he's only been at LSU a year. He's been in the SEC for the last few years, though. I think Brian needs some kind of connection to help him, you know, have some credibility with the people in Louisiana, credibility with the LSU um, recruits and so forth. And so I, I think that was a smart move on he's, part. he's also the interim coach too, right? Is, I mean, that he's sort of speak, interim coach right that's, that speaks to his standing within that program and how important he is down there. Yeah, um, they play in the Texas Bowl. And so, I mean, to me, it's more of a, it's a reflection of what Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman think of Jeff Quinn. I think that's fair to say. Um, yes, Tom, Tommy Reese has a chance to pick someone else, and it seems that's like that seems like that's what he wants to do. Um, the, the Nebraska thing, I don't know like how much I would read into that in terms of that being an indictment. I mean, Donovan Rayola was the person who they hired. He has NFL experience as a player and a coach. Um, he wasn't a full time assistant coach, but he is a an assistant. Uh, offensive line coach, not the offensive line coach for the Chicago Bears. Um, so, it, and he was also a GA for uh, Harry Heastan. Um, he's also from Hawaii. That's something I think that is valuable as a uh, as a college football coach and potentially with recruiting. Um, so I think he brings a lot of value as a college offensive line coach. So I think sort of just like describing him as a guy who will be a first-time O-line coach in full capacity is, is, is definitely undercutting uh, Donovan Rayola's resume. Um and maybe Jeff Quinn wasn't a fit there. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know any more about Nebraska's program than 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 anyone else that's that's listening to this. Except that they lose a lot of games in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, I will be interested to see where Jeff Quinn ends up. I, um, but I don't think that should be necessarily an indictment of what he's done in Notre Dame. Maybe maybe he's not long for coaching much longer. I don't. I don't know. I mean, he's. I think he's getting close to sixty. Um, I, the way this that's is old. <laughs> um he certainly he certainly made more money throughout his career than uh than uh your typical 60 year old but uh uh the what my, i i came, this was the analogy i came up with like carter carls who we all know and love is still looking for a job in sports writing but i don't think that's an indictment of the work he did for us at the south bend tribune or his potential to be a great at his next job i think the hiring process is, is an interesting one. It depends on who you know and the right timing. Um, so, like, making this instant reaction of what Jeff Quinn meant to Notre Dame based on who Nebraska hired and who, what Brian Kelly did at LSU, I think, is a, is a bit of an overreaction. Next question is from at Mike Devoy one Any indications of who on staff will pick up the Hawaii recruiting responsibilities that Brian Pullian had restarted when he rejoined the staff? Seems like it's been a great resource for talent. I think it is a great resource for talent. And I think it really depends on how the staff fills out. Um, and then whether you want to keep people in their geographical regions or put the new coaches out in California slash Hawaii. You know, Brian Polian handled the bulk of that, but he was in California a lot too. Dell was in California. Um so, you know, again, I think it's going to be somebody new that would handle that. And I don't know. I don't think that they would turn their back on it. I know there was a point where Brian Kelly did because he just felt, you know, he didn't have any assistants that really were gung ho about wanting to go out there. And then when Polian came aboard, 
he said, I'll go out there. And then they kind of got things going again. There's just, there's too many talent, too much talent, too many connections to just completely close the door. I think you can cherry pick a few guys without being super invested in Hawaii uh, because just because of how successful. I can't think of one of the Hawaii guys, certainly from Charlie Weiss era on, that hasn't outperformed their stars, including Manti Teo, who was a five-star. I mean, he was a Heisman Trophy runner-up and won every possible Defensive Player of the Year award. So um, those guys, yeah, I would I would definitely still go to Hawaii. Yeah, it's a time-consuming job in terms of travel, and the communication is tough with the time difference, but – so I think the res- the results have been have been worth it. Brian Polian deserves credit for that. Um, I think Notre Dame's history with Hawaiian players will still matter in those recruitments, even though he's gone. Um, Mike Elson has spent some time out there, and certainly with recruiting Myron and uh, recruiting Jordan Botello. Um, so he has made some connections out there. I don't know if that would be what their answer was. I think, like you said, it's sort of wait and see who else is hired on the staff to see if there is one, one of those people end up having – uh, a, a tie to Hawaii and it, it makes sense to sort of tie that person that is recruiting Hawaii to, to California because they're, they're heading out that direction. And so that makes it a little bit easier if you go to California first and then, then uh, recruit there and then go somewhere else. But um, I think uh, it will be something that Notre Dame will have to figure out in the coming, uh, coming um, I guess weeks or months, however you want to describe it <laughs> at Mark Gray asks, hi guys, are there, has there been any major differences so far in terms of covering the team? I know there have been a few practices, anything standing out and what changes do you anticipate moving forward with the program? Yes, there's, there's been incredible access so far. Um, I can't remember us ever being invited to watch a bowl practice. Um, Maybe that happened decades ago. On on campus. On campus. Yes. And I can't, but I can't remember that happening. And it looks like we're going to be able to talk to assistant coaches more. Now, this is an indictment of Brian Kelly. I still thought our access was pretty good with Brian Kelly. That My knit with Brian Kelly would be assistant coaches. I, yeah. I think he hurt himself by not letting them talk, and he hurt us by not letting them talk. Right. Um, and, and, so, and fans, I think, too. I mean, fans. Yeah, and fans. fans. Well, I mean, and, and when you – hear these guys and and I mean it just gives you a better window in the program and I think it would be good for recruiting even for for people to say boy you know I'm really impressed with Mike Mickens or boy I'm impressed with Chris O'Leary I mean I I still think I don't know am I the only person that's interviewed Mike Mickens in two years so far (laughs) yeah it might be the case and I might be the only one that's interviewed John McNulty (laughs) right right so I mean so I think that's what I noticed, but it wasn't like it was, you know, the dark ages and we were shut out of everything. We just got a lot of BK. Um, we, we got lots of doses of BK and that was helpful. Um, so but th- those assistant coaches can speak to the, the players even better too, in my opinion, like Brian yeah. Kelly doesn't know doesn't always know the intricacies of the third string cornerback that we're asking about and the things like the things we want to know about the depth chart and how guys are progressing, maybe that we're not seeing on a weekly basis out on, on the game field. Um, and th- those assistant coaches can speak to that a lot better. And those guys get to know them really well. 
Um, and, and, and that makes a big difference, but yeah, so I, I, we're pretty excited about what is scheduled for us in terms of access. We'll see how long that lasts. If that carries over into the spring and everything, I think it's smart from Notre Dame side. Like they need, they realize how much good publicity they have gotten out of this as for as much for as bad of a situation as it could have been. It's like, okay, your head coach just left when you were potentially going to the playoff, but somehow Notre Dame is now like this media darling and everyone loves them. And even fans are sort of pulling for them and everyone likes Marcus Freeman. So Notre Dame is wise to sort of amplify that. And uh, we, we appreciate the work that uh, Katie Katie Lonergan has done as the sports information director for the football football program and uh we'd advise i'd advise marcus freeman to listen to her and it seems like he already is so he doesn't need that advice from us uh he he even mentioned even mentioned that a little bit at his press conference the other day um and he also said he's, he's been consulting the players about how much media they want around if they want us to be at practice and um and so i think that's all smart it seems like a a good thing now obviously that's a little bit selfish probably coming from like our standpoint and there's a lot a lot more that goes into making Notre Dame football great than allowing us to be around. But uh, at least those are the things that we're seeing in terms of covering the team so far. The, the one thing I'll point out is a, a story. I'll give you an example of how it gives you a better insight into the team. So when Brian Van Gorder got fired in 2016, um, Mike Elston took over as the secret defensive coordinator, but he was the linebackers coach at that time. And I think they had three sacks from their defensive line that year. And it was the lowest in power five. So the next year, Elston's back to coaching the defensive line. And, and, and two years later, they're a season later, 2018, they're in the college football playoff. And a big reason was because of the defensive line. But he told me a story about how he took all those guys because he wanted to get to know, and they went to one of those panic rooms and they couldn't get out. They were so disorganized (laughs) that they couldn't get out that the people that, you know, run the place had to let them out because they didn't work together. And then he talked about how he pieced that whole thing together. And when you watch Notre Dame's defensive line in most games, they're the best unit on the field, or at least Notre Dame's best unit on the field and have been for the past few years. So that story never gets told if you don't get a chance to talk to Mike Elson. And I think it was a neat peek into that. And I think, again, recruits, fans, everybody appreciates that look into the uh, program. And I'll shut up now. <laughs> of course, of course, a question about media gets us to talk for a very long time. <laughs> a question from Chino at D underscore radio guy for Eric. How long does it take to tell the difference between word salad and what's important slash true when it comes to interviewing a new coach after 12 years? I'm sure there's an adjustment. Well, I think as a journalist, you have to be able to tell word salads really fast with anybody that you talk to because you may be interviewing somebody only once, get 20 minutes with them, and you got to be able to read their authenticity. And I wish that I could say I was always 100% right. I think I am most of the time. Uh, In Marcus's case, I was fortunate enough that when I did that one Mike Mickens interview, I... I called Cincinnati and asked if I could talk to Marcus to get some comments on 
Mike, since they had gone to high school together and since Mickens had worked for Marcus uh, in Cincinnati. And uh, when Marcus and I got on the phone, it was like somebody that I had known my whole life and <laughs> we were just picking up where we left off. Now, I think I attribute that more to him than to me, but that's how comfortable I felt. That's how authentic he came off. So for me, he's not an adjustment, uh, nor the times that we've spoken to him. And this is for all the media has had a chance to speak to him a little bit. We we got uh, what maybe one time in August, Tyler, and some some. I think it might have been. I think I think it might have been twice. I think we got to talk to him twice during yeah. camp. Twice during camp, and then we got to talk to him during the spring. So we've already been able to kind of gauge him. Uh, so for for me, that's not now. You know, in going to other coaches, you know, Bob Davey, I didn't get a good feeling right away with him, and that never stopped. Um, Tyrone, he was incredibly guarded. I mean, he didn't even give you enough words to make a word salad. <laughs> it was like a word. Word outside. garnish. A word yeah, garnish. Word garnish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but when the tape recorder was off, and you were just talking to him off the record. Fascinating guy. Charlie, Charlie was a mess because he had no, <laughs> no thing. And I like Charlie Weiss a lot, but he was, he was a bull in a China shop. And then Brian was, um, I think, you know, we didn't get a lot of coach speak from Brian. Um, and he was pretty easy to work with most of the time. Yeah, I think. I'm I'm very curious. Like Marcus, like everything you said about Marcus Freeman is right. He comes across as genuine and honest. And um, like I was telling, when people were asking me about him being the potential head coach, I was like, yeah, I mean, there's not a room that he will go into that won't he won't like command the attention of and be able to relate to those people. It just just the way that he speaks to people, I think, really stands out. I think if you ever get a chance to talk to him, and I think even people who just watched him talk at his opening press conference, um, sort of got a sense for that. Um, I'm curious to see how guarded he becomes the, with the more he talks to us. And especially after our loss or things aren't going well, I mean, we've talked to Marcus Freeman under very good circumstances for the most part uh, so far. Um, so that's something that we'll sort of learn. And I, I think once you have a working, yeah, that would have been interesting after the North Carolina game, if he was available. Right. Right. Um, when you work covering somebody, you sort of learn of like how, how truthful they're being with you, you sort of get a better sense for that. If like what they're saying maybe isn't the full truth. I mean, I think with Brian Kelly, a lot with injuries, like he would, I think he was pretty transparent, but there's sometimes he, like his estimates would be way off. Like he just would have the wrong information or maybe didn't have the right information. I, I you don't always know. So you don't always take that to, for, to take it to be concrete, like Blake Fisher, like his injury ended up being like essentially out for the season when he's like, ah, oh, he'll be back in eight weeks or whatever. Um, I think it was the first time we talked about it, but um, so I, I just think, uh, um, you, you sort of learn sort of the idiosyncrasies of, of how a person sort of communicates information and what they're trying to maybe withhold from telling you. Um, and, uh, that's, that's all stuff we'll learn about Marcus Freeman as, as time goes on and we get to cover him more. Next question is from Joe Esquire at Joe Irish 13. Can you guys talk about how you think Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, and Chris Tyree will be used in the Fiesta Bowl. What kind of back would be the best against Oklahoma State's defense? Well, I think um, 
using them in combination is is the winning combination <laughs> uh, because I think if you just try to play one guy primarily and give him the bulk of the carries, that's not going to work against Oklahoma State. I think you want to wear them down. But in terms of style, I'm not so sure Audric estimate doesn't work here. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is when you look at Oklahoma State, and they were really good against the run, the two running backs that kind of gave them problems at the very end of the year were um, o- Kennedy Brooks from Oklahoma, who's 5'11", 215, and then um, uh, Abram Smith from Baylor, who's 5'11", 221. Both those guys had pretty strong games against Oklahoma State here recently. And, and Abram did actually in Baylor's loss to Oklahoma State the first time they played. He had 97 yards on 10 carries. So I think physical backs, but but see, you still want to use Tyree because he's got that home run. And when he and we saw at the very end of the year in the Stanford game, he was starting to feel healthier again. We started seeing that burst of speed from him. When he's not right, he's not the rocket. You know, but when when he is right, that guy can give you those 90 yard runs. Now that they're not going to happen all the time, but you know, if he gets out into the secondary, nobody's catching him. So I like a combination of those three. Yeah, the the like you mentioned, the backs who have had the most success against Oklahoma State are talented backs. Uh, Bijan Robinson from Texas also had a good game against against Oklahoma State. Um, what I noticed. And I, I looked closely at Kennedy Brooks and Bajon Robinson. Neither of them had a long, a run longer than 138 yards, and they each ran for over 130 yards. So I wouldn't be counting on picking up a, a long run, like a run of 40 yards or more. Um, so maybe some of the speed that you get with Chris Tyree isn't necessarily – you shouldn't be, like, building your offense around trying to get him out for a long, long run or something like that. I, I mean, I, I think, to me, you're right in terms of – making sure there's a good mix. I like Logan Diggs. I think he's the most well-rounded running back that they have. Um, I don't know that I have enough confidence in Audrick Estimate, even though I was very high on him as a recruit, just for the a lack of seeing him get ca- any meaningful carries yet this season. Um, I think probably having Tyler Buckner involved in the running game will certainly help. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of everything that Notre Dame is going to need to do to have success running the football against Oklahoma State. Yeah, it seemed like the games, too, where the quarterback was a runner, that helped open the traditional running game against Oklahoma State. So that was – I was going to throw that little tidbit into it. We might see, again, with Kyron out, we're going to see Tyree in the slot a little bit more as a slot receiver like Kyron was doing. Absolutely. Next question is from at Clutch Sports ND. What do you think Tommy Reese meant by having complete autonomy? And I believe – he said this on the Ryan Rosillo podcast. I think what it means is he's in charge. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he doesn't have to look over and say, right, coach. I mean, and and I think we're gonna see more of Tommy Reese's ideas rather than Tommy Reese adapting Brian Kelly's ideas. You know, I had a chance to talk to Dane Christ. Oh, gosh, I think it was early in the season. We were talking about Tommy because, you know, they were teammates. Mm-hmm. And, and Dane would be an incredible analyst on TV because 
he picked up that he said the offense is more Tommy Reese than I think people see. He goes, I see things that San Diego Chargers or the Los Angeles Chargers were doing. I think they were San Diego when he was there. Right. The Chargers were doing. Um, but I think we will see Tommy's stamp on things. Just the way he carries himself, even. Um, I, I almost want to call him Thomas. You know, I, I <laughs> want to call him something different uh, because there's there's a confidence and there's a swagger about him. Uh, and I think Marcus, again, has given him choices about who he wants to be as wide receivers coach and who he wants to be his offensive line coach. So yeah, Tommy's uh, Thomas is uh, getting some <laughs> – you know, new responsibilities. And I think it's exciting and intriguing and maybe scary for some people, but it's, it's certainly for me, he's going to be as fascinating to watch as Marcus is in this upcoming bowl game. And in the 2022 season, I think it was Jack Swarbrick when he was at that Marcus Freeman's press conference he referred to Tommy Reese as Tom. And I was like, well, people just stop trying to make Tom happen. He goes by Tommy, call him Tommy. It's not insulting to call him Tommy. I don't, I, I, uh, and Marcus called him Tommy the other day. So if Marcus calls him Tommy, I'm calling him Tommy. Uh, his mother I, calls him Clay, I'm calling him. <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, there, like, I, I mean, everything you said, I agree with. The offense is his. There was always a Brian Kelly influence on the offense, and that's not going to that's not how it's going to be with Marcus Freeman. I'm sure that's a big part. And I think we've talked about this already before in a previous podcast that, that probably played a significant role in, in Tommy Reese deciding to stay at Notre Dame. He, he knew that he would have his fingerprints all over what this offense was going to look like and wouldn't necessarily have a head coach who's offensive minded looking over his shoulder. Next question is for an email from Ken in Pensacola. Do you think Notre Dame will be, will take advantage of the transfer portal, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, and who will be our backup quarterback for Tyler Buckner? Well, I think they'll definitely look to the transfer portal, um, not not necessarily use it, but they'll look to the transfer portal for wide receiver, and I think probably safety too. I think some of that depends on what Devin Moore decides to do tomorrow morning, um, and, and maybe some other positions. But and as it pertains to quarterbacks, my thoughts are that Drew Pine will be a guy that's trying to compete to start um, in the spring. Right. And that's going to be his mindset uh, rather than I'm going to be the backup and do backup things. And then Steve Angeli is coming in early, the Bergen Catholic quarterback. So he'll be in the depth chart. Uh, right now, Cole Capen has been the number four guy. He was out at practice with the other guys in a red jersey. Cole is a walk-on big, big dude though, six foot five, I think 232. Um, you know, we haven't seen Ron Paulus in a practice yet. <laughs> Ron Paulus the third, that is. Um, so I'm not sure uh what his timetable for recovery is. You, you gotta be careful with the transfer portal and what you're looking for in it. There's some really good starting caliber quarterbacks that are looking for a place to start. I think Notre Dame could use a, a backup, somebody that's depth. And so you're looking for a different caliber of quarterback. If you get somebody that is going to end up certainly beating out Drew Pine, uh, then 
what's Drew Pine to think about that? You may lose Drew Pine right. by getting somebody that, you know, is, is going to start or whatever, and it may put off Tyler Buckner. Not, you know, I mean, I, it, people used to always ask me these questions about quarterbacks transferring. I would roll my eyes and I can't do that anymore because they're transferring like, you know, there's a going out of business sale. I mean, it's incredible. So that's my take on it. How about you, Tyler? Yeah. I mean, the quarterback, like, especially a grad transfer, I I think that's, it seems virtually impossible to be able to thread the needle of what they would be looking for and what that graduate transfer quarterback would be looking for. I mean, because you don't necessarily want someone that you think is better than Drew Pine, if you think, because then what Drew Pines are like, all right, see you guys later. <laughs> Why should I stay if you don't even think I'm good enough to be your backup? Um, so I think it's going to be hard to do that. And, and a lot of the guys, a lot of guys that are grad transferring are looking to play. They're not looking to sit around. Um, so I think you got to, it's it's t- that'll be tough. I mean, unless Notre Dame can bring an underclassman in, I think it would be really hard for Notre Dame to add a transfer quarterback, at least until uh, 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 so long as Drew Pine doesn't transfer beforehand. Like if Drew Pine transfers first, then uh, then obviously you, I think you have to. Like you don't have a choice. Um, but uh, I, otherwise, I think I think Notre Dame goes in the season okay with I don't, I comfortable might be too strong i think a little bit comfortable with with tyler buckner drew pine and steve angeli i think they would they obviously had some interest in trying to bring in another quarterback in this class and maybe they'll see if there's anyone left um after this early signing period to try and get to sign in february but um i think uh the quarterback position is going to be a tough juggling thing but like like you said like drew pine shouldn't leave anytime soon immediately because i think you Tommy Reese should and probably will um, have a competition between Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner going into next season. So I, I, I think you, that gives him a reason to stay because there, there's a there is a chance that he could technically beat out Tyler Buckner to be the starting quarterback next year, even though that's not what many of us anticipate. Next question is from at Buster Biven: Which redshirt freshman will have the largest impact in 2022? Yeah, that's an easy one. Blake Fisher. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like that's cheating. I came up with a couple of answers. Yeah, I like... <laughs> I, I've got some more, but Blake Fisher would be number one. I would say Rocco Spindler has a really good chance to start, and that would be number two. Uh, Audric Estime will be able to redshirt because he hasn't played in four games. I don't, think, know, I don't think that's true. I think he's played more than four. Oh, yeah, that's right. He played special teams, so he's not a redshirt, so scratch that. Jaden Thomas because of numbers may just be in the mix there. Yep. Um, Gabe Rubio, yep. uh, especially if Jason Adamalola takes off. And then I don't know if Justin Walters um, is a redshirt or not. Do you know? He is, yeah. I looked up all the redshirts, and I'll list them off just so listeners can know the list okay. that we're sort of pulling from. Uh, Ryan Barnes, uh, hopefully I didn't miss anyone here. Ryan Barnes, Chance Tucker, JoJo Johnson, Justin Walters, Philip Riley, Kari G. Jason Anye, Will Schweitzer, Rocco Spindler, Caleb Johnson, Pat Coogan, Kane Barong, Jaden Thomas, and Gabe Rubio. Yeah, I I, th- I feel good with my list there. How about you? Do you have any? You, you have one glaring person missing, and that's Josh Bryan, the kicker, who I would imagine will be the starting kicker next year. Um, unless Yes, that is glaring. I, <laughs> I did notice him getting reps in practice, though, ahead of Harrison Leonard. So, uh, Yeah, 
Absolutely. So I think so I think he um will will certainly have an impact next year. So I, but I felt like both Blake and Josh were probably cheating answers. So but I I had the same guys as you. I I really liked everything that I've seen from Justin Walters in practice. Now we didn't get to see that in, in any games this year in terms of playing safety, but um, I think he he can work his way into the safety mix. I think it's reasonable to think Jaden Thomas is contributing as a wide receiver in some way. Um, Rocco Spindler will be pushing to start. And um, I, I like Gabe Rubio's chance to, especially, I mean, I guess it depends on if Jason Adamalola stays sort of that, impacts the way Notre Dame's interior defensive line looks going into next season, but I think he can get into the mix for the rotation there as well. Next question is from data guy at the underscore Jack attack. What position group are you most confident about going into next season? And what position are you most concerned about? I think if I knew some key guys coming back, whether they were going to come back like Jarrett Patterson, Isaiah Foskey, guys like that, it, it would influence. So not knowing, I love the interior defensive line. Um, if Foskey's back, I love the whole defensive line. That would be my top pick. You know, offensive line, tight ends, cornerbacks, I think will all be pretty good. The one that really intrigues me, though, that I think might catch people by surprise are the linebackers. Because you're adding back in Maris Leofau. Um, you probably moved J.D. Bertrand over to middle linebacker or uh, Bo Bauer comes back and plays middle linebacker. You still have Jack Kaiser. And then you bring in four studs and Prince Colley. And I think athletically they are upgrading big time. Uh, and I think that's going to be fun. So I don't – that's more of a – bad answer of how confident that's that's the position group that excites me that i would roll the dice and say i'm going to be right about this let's see I, I i'm ready to go there that was my answer linebacker is the answer i'm the most confident in the linebacker position i there's no there's no way notre dame's linebackers aren't good next season um i just think that they're going to be good um Tight end feels like cheating just because you have Michael Mayer. <laughs> like, yeah, you got Michael Mayer and the seven dwarfs. Yeah, right. Um, the running back group, I think I'm pretty confident in in what those guys will be able to do. And defensive line is probably tops if Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adamola come back. Um, if if both of those guys are gone, I think that moves them down the list. I think they'll end up being good, but I, I still am a little bit in the wait and see fit, uh, category with them if they lose both of those starters. Um, and they'll be losing Myron Tangabaloa Mosa as well, and Kurt Heiner. So that, 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 if they would, be, if they if they're losing all four starters, I can't be that confident in them. Um, the position I'm the most concerned about, I think quarterback. I think, it, it, I mean, we're, we're going to have questions about the quarterback, even if we think Tyler Buckner has a bright future. Uh, we got to see that. So I, I, my concern will remain there. Safety, uh, although it's been helped by. Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts showing some potential there at the end of this season. Um, what does that look like without Kyle Hamilton back there for a full season? Um, and then wide receiver, right? There's some guys there that I like a lot. Um, that That's also heavily dependent on who all comes back at the wide receiver position as well. So those are the positions that I'm most concerned about. What about you, Eric? Yeah. The, there's so many ifs at the wide receiver position, <laughs> even, even in the recruiting class still. Uh, so but but I like the talent there. I think Styles and Colsey are going to be really good. 
but the safety would would have been absolutely number one. And even with Henderson playing well, you're going to lose Houston Griffith, who hasn't played well, but he's still a guy that's assignment correct. You're you're still looking at numbers. You still want quality. You know, if, if Ramon Henderson gets hurt in the first game, then who's your free safety? And so, yeah, I think I think they're going to have to jump in the portal there uh, because, or, or somebody's going to have to really surprise next spring. Yeah, DJ Brown is like the key to the safety position next year, and that that seems like a even as well as he's played at times this year, that seems like a. Um, not a great thing to be like the staple of your unit that you feel to, uh, hugely confident in going into the season. Next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. How can Notre Dame start to schedule more like Michigan? They have eight home games and four road games next year, and they start the season with four cupcake home games. So much of going undefeated is based on one scheduling. Do you see Notre Dame making changes slash improvements here to help the team? Well, how, how they can make their schedule more like Michigan's is join the Big Ten because then <laughs> they're obligated to play a lot of those same teams. When I first read the question, I misread it because I thought he was implying that Notre Dame had eight um, home games. And I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> um, and, and then I thought, okay, that's, that's what he's getting at. He wants them to have an easier schedule. You know, the, the fact they have eight home games and four away games, they still have to play Ohio State, Michigan State, and Penn State. They still have three what you would consider pretty difficult games. And, and then if they win the East, uh, they still have to play likely a decent team, at least a ranked team in the Big Ten championship game. Maybe not as good as those other teams, but, but a ranked team in the Big Ten championship game. Um, if you're Notre Dame, you don't want to water down your schedule too much because if you don't go 12 and 0 like this year, and and it's not like they watered it down, they just had teams crater. You go 11 and one, and you don't have a schedule with a top 25 win on it, you're not getting in the playoff. Um, and next year they play Clemson, Ohio State, and USC. Um, so you got to have some toughness, especially if you don't have that 13th game, your 12 game schedule needs to equal what a 13 day game schedule would be for the teams you're competing for with the playoff. And, and don't forget, we're going to get to the 12 team playoff here in a few years. And, and that'll change the dynamic of these schedules where you're going to want tough games, uh, because strength of schedule will be scrutinized. Yeah. I mean, Michigan's. Michigan's schedule is is based on the fact that it's in a conference, like you said, and it had to me the biggest thing is Ohio State at the end of end of each season because if you have a good season, then you beat Ohio State, you're going to the Big Ten championship game, so you're going to have two marquee wins if you're if you're getting into the playoff. Otherwise, you're not, and so it's it's a moot point of who you played to to start the start the season. I I just think um, they have those staples on their schedule that they, they can rely on, and right now Michigan State um, and Penn State are good, and so that that helps them. Um, Notre Dame has lost those staples on their schedule in recent years because Stanford and USC stink. Um, USC will probably change that under Lincoln Riley. Um, but Notre Dame doesn't have like annual marquee games anymore. They, their marquee games are the ones that they're scheduling um, as home and homes. Um, so that's why Ohio State and Alabama are on the schedule in the future. Um, and 
that's that's sort of how that plays out. I think next year is going to be an interesting season for Notre Dame. It's lots of cool storylines. I'm really looking forward to that schedule. Um, but that's what Notre Dame has to do at the price of being an independent. You have to go out and schedule games because you you can't you can't guarantee that you're the, the games that you know you're going to play are going to be against good teams. And even when you're scheduling these games out years in advance, you don't know if uh, these teams are going to be good. But obviously, if you're put if you're betting on teams like Ohio State and Alabama being good, there's probably a pretty good chance that those teams are are going to be good by the time you end up playing them. Last question we have is from at Irish fan one zero two Texas supporters launched the horns for heart initiative to provide scholarship offensive linemen with $50,000 each through an NIL program. Do you expect similar programs from ND supporters? And how do you think Notre Dame will compete with other pay to play tactics to stay competitive? Well, I mean, it's a free market, the NIL. So it's not that, it's not that Notre Dame needs to, I mean, do this or the Notre Dame followers need to do this, that, I mean, the, the offensive line at Notre Dame got um, the big man shorts and they got the mission barbecue and they got the uh, dude wipes and that's not $50,000. You know, I went and read the um, release about the pancake factory part of this horns with heart. And as I read it, they are, talking about financing the players, but they're trying to funnel these guys into doing charity work and charitable causes. So I'm not sure that I understand the the complete dynamic here with it, but the NIL right now is just kind of a quagmire because there's things that are completely legal that are working and there are things that really are very sketchy. Uh, But I don't think Notre Dame needs to be do something organized and say, well, well, we need to, you know, pay our offensive linemen or whatever. Um, I, I just, I don't think it'll work that way. I think if you're marketable, you'll make good NIL money. And if you're not marketable, you know, there's still some things from a team aspect, I think with the EA sports, for example, I think everybody will get a cut of that. You know, BYU has something going on with walk-ons. Uh, so right now it's just kind of a wild west kind of open marketplace. Eventually, ideally it'll be a wild or a open marketplace without the wild west element. So I'm not really quite sure what to, what to tell you to make you feel better other than Notre Dame is a great brand that that's going to attract NIL offers for their players yeah i i have lots of thoughts but not a lot of answers (laughs) i guess is the way i would look at it with the nil stuff um and and first like my my biggest takeaway is like as with all these big nil deals that we hear about it's not totally clear to me exactly how it works or if it's sustainable um i i tried to figure out exactly what this horns for heart and pancake players whatever they're called pancake factory uh, thing works like um and it, i mean it seems to be like a worker because you you can't one of the restrictions of nil you can't do it as pay to play as this was as this was the question was worded um but texas is sort of there these texas fans are sort of getting around that by saying they're not saying that we're offering this offensive line recruit fifty thousand dollars if he comes to notre dame they're saying 
whoever is a scholarship offensive lineman at, at, at Texas, not Notre Dame, at Texas, I think it was like August 1st or whatever. I don't know what the date is, but next season, um, you're going to get $50,000. So a recruit could see that and say, hey, maybe I should go to Texas because I'm going to get that if I go there. But, but but Texas can't promise that that will happen. Um, and these, there's nothing that's really holding these supporters from not pulling this route from underneath them and not actually uh, paying up that money either. So um, it's a shady and very gray world out there with the NIL stuff. I think Notre Dame has potential to do stuff. I don't know, like this or what. I, I, I My one criticism of Notre Dame on the NIL front was that it would – especially if it, and maybe it doesn't want supporters or efforts like this happening. Um, but Notre Dame, at least to my knowledge, has not has yet to publicize what its NIL policy is. Now, I think they've communicated that with players and that they can sort of handle that. But if a Notre Dame fan wants to know what you can do to try to start something like this and what Notre Dame is or isn't allowing, I don't know if that is on und.com. I haven't found it. But Texas fans know what they can do because they can – and what they can't do because it's outlined on texassports.com. Now that's a small thing, um, but I, but I think if like you want to empower your fan base to have a role in this, you got to make sure that they are aware of what they can can and can't do. And I don't think Notre Dame's done that. I think Notre Dame is probably still maybe figuring some of that out and how to harness all of that, um, and maybe isn't comfortable with some of the other, the things that are happening elsewhere. Um, but um, I think it's too early to say that this is going to be like what's what determines where kids are going and. How, how much an impact that that's going to have on things because uh, um, it's, 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 you never know. I mean, some of these investments are going to turn out to be bad investments for these, for these uh, boosters. Um, I don't think uh, the Spencer Rattler deal was probably worth it. Quinn Ewers is probably getting way too much money for something that he's not even finishing a full season at, at Ohio state. Um, so uh, I, it's just, a, it's just a murky world yet. And I don't know that we're going to have a, a clear picture of what it's all going to look like. Um and for for a while now still all right that's it for today's episode of pot of gold if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and stitcher if you like what you hear shoot us some stars and leave a review we will try to be back next week to talk more um, reviewing the early signing period and notre dame's fiesta bowl preparations until then stick with ndinsider.com for your, all your notre dame football coverage needs mm-hmm.